it didn't start with black people. It started with people who wanted to control black men and they inserted drugs into the inner city. In the wake of George Floyd's murder, activists and justice allies around the world are speaking up and demanding change and change beyond police reform. Millions of people have taken to the streets and have said it's time for America to confront its racist past and to act with all due speed in removing any vestiges of the past, including Confederate monuments, company logos, and even the names of buildings at 100-year-old colleges and universities. Yes, allies and justice fighters are asking to remove all of these symbols that remind us of our sordid history with slavery, the Jim Crow era, and anything that reminds us of how African-Americans have been uh, discriminated against and treated unequally in this country. Now, as these demands for change, are, some people are asking, are they really moving the needle? Are they getting us to a more equitable and anti-racist society? Or are the activists going too far and actually undermining any chance of progress? Here to discuss that and many issues about what's in the news today around the issues of justice and equity are Jane Elliott is joining me this morning. She is a world renowned, uh, Jane is world renowned for exposing prejudices and bigotry in people with her blue eyes, brown eyes exercise. Jane Elliott is an educator, a diversity trainer and author of A Collar in My Pocket, The Blue Eyes, Brown Eyes Exercise. Thank you so much for joining me this morning, Jane. I had a little brain freeze there. I, I got kind of confused. I couldn't find your last name. So I apologize, but you are world renowned for this incredible exercise, blue eyes, brown eyes. But before we talk about what's going on in the news today in 2020, Jane, uh, you started this mission after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated and you were actually teaching third grade students in Iowa. So I want to ask you, Jane, yes. what prompted you to do this incredible exercise? Number one, it isn't an incredible exercise. What I did was create a microcosm of society in a third grade classroom. And if when I create an, a microcosm of society, I am doing an, ex, an ex, experience, experiment, which is what is called all the time, you need to realize that this wasn't an experiment. This was an exercise in how to be empathetic how to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. I wanted my students to understand why Martin Luther King Jr. was out in the street. I wanted them to understand why he was angry. I wanted them to understand that the people who were going to call me the N-word lover, that's okay, mm -hmm. as long as you don't call me a hater, an N-word hater. I just assume be called an N-word lover. That's not a bad thing to be called. Make no mistake about that. I wanted my children to hear the ignorance of people who would use that term and who would use that term in that way. I wanted them to understand what people of color were angry about. And so I put them through an exercise based on the color of their eyes, which I learned from Adolf Hitler. One of the ways they decided who went into the gas chamber during what has come to be called the Holocaust was eye color. If you had, brown, if you had a German name, but you had brown eyes, they threw you into the gas chamber because they thought you might be a Jewish person who was trying to pass. I did that exercise with my students based on what I learned from Adolf Hitler. So, and what we're doing in this country today, right now, is very reminiscent of what Adolf Hitler did. You need to realize that. And everybody needs to read the book, When at Times, 
the mob is swayed. And then you'll understand that I'm not exaggerating. This is exactly what is happening in the United States of America today. Did you have any idea, Jane, that, that this exercise will become so prominent and that uh, scholars, uh, educational institutions, and even celebrities like Oprah Winfrey uh, would be attracted to the exercise and would actually use it as a way to teach people about racial empathy? That exercise wasn't supposed to get out of my classroom. I did a lot of strange things in my classroom. That was only one of them. I thought it would never go any farther, but I described it to my mother. I showed my mother the essays that my students made on Tuesday after the exercise was over. And she was amazed and showed them to the editor of the local paper. A friend of mine <laughs> sent them to the Johnny Carson show. That isn't the biggest favor anybody ever did me, but she did. And so I went in and did the Johnny Carson show. That was 52 years ago. And about a month ago, I went back in, I didn't go back in, but I did um, um, on uh, one of these online thing with The Tonight Show again, 52 years later. Now, it has taken 52 years for people to catch up and say, wait a minute, maybe this is what is happening and maybe there is a cure for it. Maybe we are a racist nation and maybe we need to put a stop to it. There's no doubt but what this is a racist, racist nation and there's no doubt but what we could put a stop to it if we chose to. And what do you think those those things are that we could do, Jane, to put a stop to what you call you know this racist nation? This is all about making money. Racism is a money-making project. Make, make no mistake about that. If you can keep a bunch of young males, black males, in prison because of Bill Clinton's three strikes, you're out. And you can keep them there for years and years and years and force them to work eight hours a day. And then what they make in that eight hours at 20 cents an hour, the money goes to their victims of what is sometimes a victimless crime. You have a great money maker there because people can send their raw materials into the prison and have things produced at a whole lot less than it costs if you would have to do that outside the prison. This is a this is a vast money maker. You need to realize that. And the regentrifying of Washington, D.C. right now proves that this is all about making money. There are children in schools in Washington, D.C. who have gone to black schools, all their predominantly black schools all their lives. And now a whole lot of white children are coming in there because they're regentrifying those neighborhoods. So here come these white children whose attitudes are very different from the attitudes of those children of color. So now these children of color are being forced to adjust to this situation because somebody is going to make a whole lot of money by taking down those, those uh, substandard housing, that substandard housing, and building nice homes for middle-class people, white people who are moving in there. It's happening in cities all over the United States. I watched it happen in Denver, Colorado several years ago. This is not the best thing that ever happened to black people. It puts them once again in a position where they shouldn't be. Are you surprised at all, Jane, that in the 52 years since you did that uh, exercise that we haven't made more progress in terms of racial justice and equity in this country? We were making pretty good progress in the 90s. And we were making, and when Barack Obama was elected, I thought, now things are getting better. And like um, Whoopi Goldberg said, now I can put my suitcase down. She didn't have to think about leaving the country anymore. I thought things were going to get better. And I think they were getting better. But you see, the racists went underground and just kept their mouths shut until they got a chance to get rid of Barack Obama. It took them eight years, but they got rid of Barack Obama. I remember when Richard Nixon said to a group of white reporters. I'm trying to save the White House for you white people. 
See, I think the name of that building should be changed to the president's residence. I think this has gone on long enough now. It sends the wrong message to people. It says only white males deserve to be in the White House. Let's get over that. Let's realize that there are a whole lot of people of all different colors in this country who know a whole lot more than I do about racism and a whole lot more than I do about the, sec the situation in this country and abroad. This is ridiculous. What we are doing right now with this president is encouraging, this man encourages people to be racist and sexist and ageist and homophobic and ethnocentric. He, he encourages that on a daily basis. He uses it in his speeches. The words that he uses in, uses in his speeches ought never to be uttered by a person who is so-called the so-called leader of this or any other country. What's going on right now is absolutely unacceptable. And we can fix that in November. We can fix that. We can vote this man out of, out of power, right? And we need to do that before he takes this, with this country, he, he is intending to destroy this democracy. He doesn't believe in democracy. I do. I think it's the best thing we've got going for us. I think we better protect it at all costs. Well, Jane, if, if you can see so clearly what you've just articulated in terms of, of, of Donald Trump and, and the way that he divides the country and his divisive rhetoric uh, around race, why do you think his approval rating still hovers around 35, sometimes 40 percent? And he has such uh, an avid base that no matter what he says, no matter how racist it is, no matter how sexist uh, his statements are, that that base continues to support him uh, despite seeing in plain view the things that you just identified because they are ignorant and they believe in the lie of several different races. They are absolutely convinced. And they aren't the only ones who are convinced of this. You need to read the book, The Color of Law. Everybody needs to read this book, The Color of Law, because this book tells you about how the lawyers have set up this segregation situation in this country. And they did it not because they're bad people, but because they have been taught the wrong thing. They believe in the myth of three or four different races until we get the idea into people's heads that there's only one race, the human race, and we're all members of it. That's how long we'll have this problem. The only reason we have racism is because people haven't been educated. In this country, instead of offering education, we are offering indoctrination. We teach children how to be good United States of America citizens. And the way you do that is by spouting the party line and by spouting the stuff that you learned in school. Most of what you learned in social studies was anti-social studies. We don't talk about the fantastic things that people of color have made available for us. We don't talk about those things. We only talk about the things that white males have done. Think about this. We have George Washington right now, today, our president is in, at, the, at the place where all those famous people are carved in stone. George Washington, who owned slaves, bought and sold people for money. Abraham Lincoln, who refused to free the slaves until he absolutely had to. Thomas Jefferson, who wrote in the put in the Constitution that three a slave is three-fifths of a person. This kind of thing, these, these things are, we don't tell those things when we teach about George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and Thomas Jefferson. We only teach the good things. We teach what we consider the good things. We don't teach about what we did to the people who, start, who were in this country when we got here, when we stole their land, we raped their women, we killed their children. We don't teach about that. We, taught, we teach about the things that will make us look good and sound good. We do not teach the truth. If we would start teaching the truth, we could turn this situation around in a couple of years. In a couple of generations, we could kill racism in this country. 
because it is costing us a lot, it costs us more money than it makes us. Racism, in order to keep somebody in the gutter, you have to get down in the gutter with him and hold him down there. It takes a lot of effort to keep black people down because black people are some of the most brilliant people I know. And my, my heroes, whether or not you like it, are black women. Black women keep on keeping on no matter what we do to them. You can't keep them down because they've been there and they know where they want their children to go. And so they do everything they can to promote their children. This business of racism is ugly for all of us, but for black women, it doesn't destroy them. It just gives them coping skills that most pale faces never develop because we don't have to. We don't have to develop those coping skills. We're okay because we were born with the right color skin. This is ridiculous. Well, I think a lot of black women, me included, would agree with you, Jane, that black women are incredibly resilient. Uh, but you mentioned you know, ex-presidents and we know that a lot of those presidents have been enshrined in monuments. And there's a big debate right now in this country about those monuments and what should happen uh, to them. So I wanna bring into this conversation, Joseph Phillips. Uh, Joseph is an NAACP Image Award winning actor. You've seen him in the highly acclaimed uh, TV shows from the Cosby Show to How to Get Away with Murder to Netflix's 13 Reasons Why. We've also seen Joseph on the big screen in movies like Strictly Business, Boogie Town and Getting Played. He's a political uh, activist and social issues commentator. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Joseph, and being a part of this conversation we're having about you know, race and how do we get to this place that Jane described in terms of, of you, the United States being uh, a country that has eliminated racism. And I, I wanna start the conversation talking about some of those monuments. Uh, we've heard, you know, Donald Trump, we, we, we've heard what he feels about the monuments. And recently he signed another executive order, this time to protect Confederate monuments. Uh, and the order calls on Attorney General Bill Barr to prosecute to the fullest extent uh, possible any person who vandalizes one of these uh, federal statutes. Now, we know the president didn't have to do that because there's already a law that uh, makes it a crime to vandalize statues, but he did it anyhow in his Trumpian way and, of course, tried to take credit for doing something that had already been done. But let's listen to what Trump feels about the statues. Well, no, George Washington was a slave owner. Was George Washington a slave owner? So will George Washington now lose his status? Are we going to take down, excuse me, are we going to take down, are we going to take down statues to George Washington? How about Thomas Jefferson? What do you think of Thomas Jefferson? You like him? Okay, good. Are we going to take down the statue? Because he was a major slave owner. Now we're going to take down his statue. So you know what? It's fine. You're changing history. You're changing culture. So Joseph, you heard Donald Trump say taking down yeah. these statues is changing history and changing culture. Some people say, absolutely. That's what we need to do is change culture. What do, what do you think about these uh, Confederate monuments? Well, uh, it's interesting. Uh, in all of my 58 years, I have never really thought very much about uh, these Confederate monuments. I don't know any black people who really have thought much about them because they were never for us. They were not monuments. We didn't pay any attention to them. I won't miss these things. I'm not crying that uh, anybody's taking down Confederate monuments. We know that most of them were put up along with the battle flags as a, a direct message to black Americans during uh, the civil rights uh, movement in, in the middle of, of the 60s. So uh, 
I, I don't care about Confederate monuments. Well, let, said, let me push back a little. What I was going to say. Let me, just, I, let me just say something. You said you don't know of a lot of Black people that care about the monuments. I, I would beg to differ with you on that point. Uh, Caroline Randall Williams, very a brilliant African-American uh, writer, just wrote this compelling piece in the New York Times where she talks about these monuments uh, represent you know, white slave owners that raped her ancestors. And we know that protesters have targeted these monuments uh, to bring them down because they see them as symbols of hate. So I think there are, you know, millions well, of black people around this country that think those monuments must go because they do represent uh, hate and, and oppression. Ariva, uh, let, me, let me clarify, uh, because I would hate for anyone to, to leave this conversation with the idea that somehow I don't think these monuments represent uh, exactly what, what you've said, that they are hateful. In fact, I said that they were a direct affront and, and an effort to intimidate uh, the black community and those who were in favor of civil rights. My point was that in walking around, our concerns as black people, as I think that Jane uh, uh, indicated quite eloquently, was not that we were interested in tearing down statues. We didn't think about them that much. We didn't pay attention to the statues. We didn't go and look at the statues. Oh, look at this statue of Robert E. Lee or, or who, no, we walked by them because they were not statues for us. The broader point I'm trying to make is that, as, and, and I think that Jane got to it, there are so many issues that are so much bigger than, than the statues. I'm not gonna miss any Confederate statues. But will tearing down Confederate statues, uh, 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 you know, increase the reading scores of black students here in California who, who less than 50% are reading at grade level? I don't think so. So I think that there are, are, are things that we need to address that go beyond. Yes, I read, I read that it was a beautiful piece that, that uh, the young woman wrote. I agree with her. I agree with all of those things. My, I just don't think that, um, that they are directly addressing uh, major issues. Prison reform, ending uh, the war on drugs, those are things that will really impact this community, will really have an effect on the way that police deal with uh, the black community, uh, will, will have a real impact on education. Um, so that's so, kind of my so idea. Joseph. I hear what you're saying, but look, we're smart people. We can walk and chew gum at the same time, and they're not mutually exclusive. What do you think, Jane? What do you think about these statutes? I think tearing down the statues is a distraction. I think as long as our minds are on tearing down the statues, we won't take a look at what's happening in the prisons in this country. We won't take a look at what the Ku Klux Klan is doing in the military. We won't take a look at the amount of the number of children in schools in this country who do not learn to read, not because they aren't capable of learning to read, but because they have teachers who expect less of black children than they do of children who are not black. I think if we would get busy and instead of worrying about those damn statues, if we would educate the educators so that they would realize that every child of every color group has the possibility of greatness within that child and that every good teacher, find, every educator, I'm, I'm not a teacher, I'm an educator. The, educa the word educator comes from the duck use, which means lead, the prefix e, which means out, the suffix ate, which means the act of, and the suffix or, which means one who does. An educator is one 
who is engaged in the act of leading people out of ignorance. And you can't do that as long as you teach the lies about those people that the statues are commemorating. We have to start teaching the truth. But before you can teach the children the truth, you have to educate the educators and you have to educate the members of the boards of education and you have to educate the members of Congress. You have to educate the members of the Supreme Court. Now, they've all been to school. I know that. They're all well-schooled, but they are damn poorly educated if we are still allowing the kind of tripe that goes on in schools in the, in the name of history in this country today. When you teach that Thomas, that uh, Christopher Columbus discovered America, you are teaching a lie. He did not discover America. You can't discover a place where people are already living. There were a whole lot of people hey, here before Columbus hey, got me, here and discovered America. Let's start teaching the truth. What? I, I totally agree with you about teaching the truth. I, I disagree with you and Joseph, and that's what I love about the special report because we all get to have our opinions. Uh, I think those monuments are—they are, are a reminder. And if we have to go into public places and see those statues, then they are a reminder of that—that that very past that you're saying is not being taught uh, correctly to students. But let me add to this conversation, Jane, Confederate flags. So it's not just the statues. We know that the Confederate, Confederate flag, particularly as it relates to, you know, being flown at, at NASCAR. And, you know, now we see the, the Mississippi State Legislature assigning a piece of legislation to remove the Confederate symbols from its uh, flag. So do you see the same thing, that it's just a distraction to be focused on these Confederate flags? Absolutely, because at the same time they're talking about removing the, the Confederate flags, they aren't talking about removing the racism in the classroom. You see, I see the tearing down of the, the tearing down of the statues doesn't bother me at all. But what does bother me is that the networks are able to put that picture of that black man lying on the ground with that white man's knee on his neck killing him and it taking eight and a half minutes to do it, putting that on television over and over and over again in the guise of, we want you to see how awful this is. No, to me, that is attempted intimidation. That says to black children and their black mothers, this is what can happen to your kid if he gets out of line. As far as I'm concerned, that's attempted intimidation and is much worse than a, than a statue standing out there in the park. Kids turn on television and there that is on the news. And then they show the man the picture of the black man who overpowered two policemen, two white policemen, and took one of their guns, their tasers, and instead of turning it on, those two men who were on the ground, he ran with it. And so they shot him because he managed to over, overpower two white males and take and disarm one. And then while he was dying, dying on about the ground, dying, one of them fixed him. Let's talk about that instead of those statues. Yeah, so you talked about George Floyd, obviously, the, the knee on the neck, and then Richard Brooks, the, the uh, African-American man that was shot by police uh, in Atlanta. Uh, go ahead, Joseph. You, you wanted to weigh in on this? Yeah, I, there's a lot of what Jane is saying that I'm absolutely in, in agreement with. And again, I just want to clarify, I, I, to your point about walking and chewing gum, sure. And I think both Jane and I are saying, you want to tear down the statues, that's fine. But uh, and, and it's all good. Nobody is on here, certainly not me, defending the, uh, the Confederate flag. I've hated that thing uh, for as long as I can remember. Um, it, that flag says to me when I see it that I am less than or that someone believes that I am less than. Uh, that I do not have equal natural rights as other people just simply based on the color of my skin. And that is a bunch of bunk. And uh, so that's a hateful flag. That said, uh, I want to reiterate that there are 
However, concrete things that we can do, that we can address. And when we are not doing those concrete things and we are engaged in symbolic activity, it suggests to me that we are That's not really- Symbols matter, Joseph. Come on, you're, you're an actor. You, you know how powerful symbols are? Symbols are Ariva, everything. Ariva, what you're saying right now is that we can't walk and chew gum at the same time. That's what your argument is because you're so focused on these no, 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 Let me, let me no, finish. No, 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 no. You, you don't get to interpret what Ariva said. Ariva's very clear that I, I am in well, clearly not. with you about education, about mass incarceration, but I, I we cannot minimize so, the importance of those symbols. But I want to move on. Let's talk about Woodrow Wilson. What do you think about Princeton? 100-year-old university says uh, they are now going to remove the uh, name of a building on his campus, Woodrow Wilson. Do you and Jane see the Woodrow Wilson debate? We know Woodrow Wilson was uh, racist. He wouldn't allow African-American students into Princeton. Uh, he actually uh, segregated the civil service after it was desegregated. And he was an apologist for the Ku Klux Klan. Do you, do you have any issue with that building? Absolutely he was. But you say we got to, we have to move on. My point yet again is we're doing all of these things, all of these symbolic things. Where is the where is the uh, the the concrete movement to to end the war on drugs? Ariva, uh, 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 Eric Garner was not murdered on the streets of New York because of because the Dixie Chicks. Uh, were named the Dixie Chicks, or because of uh, some some woman on some pancake mix. He was murdered for selling loose cigarettes. Um, uh, 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 Sandra Bland was pulled over and murdered because she didn't signal for changing lanes. This has nothing to do with Confederate symbols. What it does have to do is with is the war on drugs. It has to do with with. Uh, uh, um, boy, the words weren't in my with 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 things that we allow police to do in order to uh, to search our our car for and and our ourselves for contraband. We can end the war on drugs. Let's really talk about that. But so far, I haven't seen anyone talk about it. Well, well let me tell you who's talking about it, Joseph. Let, let me tell you who is talking about it. And okay. in terms of concrete things, there are lots of concrete things that are being done. There's the Justice and Policing Act that was introduced into Congress by Congresswoman Karen Bass and uh, Senator Kamala Harris that was passed by partisan support uh, by Democratic Congress people as well as Republicans to reform this nation's police uh, federal Arriba, laws that would reform the police department. And oh. Eric Gardner, you mentioned Eric Gardner. There's a piece of legislation moving in the Congress right now to ban chokeholds as a result of the Eric Gardner case. So there are things that Arriba. are happening that are concrete. And, and I disagree with you Arriba. that somehow these symbols, I let you, you have to let the whole speak, that there are symbols of hate, that somehow those symbols of hate are not completely intertwined with these horrific excessive force cases that you've just identified. But this is hot topics day. So we got a lot of hot topics to get through. Let's, let's move on to the golden girls. I, I want to show you this picture uh, of the beloved golden girls. And this was an episode where they come out in these mud masks and they say, you know, we're not really black. What do you think about this, Jane? Hulu pulled this episode of the Golden Girls. Right decision, wrong decision? 
if you're going to pull every episode of every program of every TV show over the last 50 years that had racist implications, you're going to have nothing to go back to, number one. Number two, let's talk about the war on drugs for just a minute here. Drugs weren't a problem until people in the cities, the people who were running the cities were upset because black men in gangs were controlling the young black men. They were controlling them with their gangs. The people who were running the show wanted to take control of those young black males out of the hands of the black leaders and they deliberately inserted drugs into those communities. Make no mistake about this. We did this deliberately and to this day, you get charged more for a little bit of coke than you do for a huge mass of it if you're white. If you're white and the difference between the treatment for black and white drug dealers is absolutely immense. And before you, before you start talking about the war on drugs, you better realize where it came from. It didn't start with black people. It started with people who wanted to control black men and they inserted drugs into the inner cities. You need to get, your, you need to get these stories straight before we start telling them and before we start reacting to all these horrible young black people who are on drugs. You want to talk about the painkillers that people are on now? It has nothing to do with the kind of drugs that you're talking about. It has to do with what big pharma can do with your mind if you allow it to happen. And we are allowing it to happen because it is a moneymaker. Now, what so Dave, I, I, I hear you about the war on drugs. Not going to talk about the war on drugs right now. I want to stay focused on these symbols of hate. Uh, and we're talking about the Golden Girls. We also have examples of Jimmy Kimmel, who uh, put on blackface to uh, play Carl Malone. We had Jimmy Fallon as Chris Rock, Paula Dean as Lucille Ball, Gene Wilder and Silver Street. You're an actor, Joseph. What about these uh, you know, people in the media wearing blackface, even if they're doing it for comedic purposes? Well, <laughs> uh, again, uh, Arima, I, I'm not, I, I, I think that um, there's something I'm, that's going over my head. I, I don't have any love of any of these symbols. I'm not quite sure what the attraction to blackface is and why so many people feel the need to, uh, to do it. Uh, I agree with Jane. I think if we start, uh, I mean, there there is out and out blackface, and then there's stuff like what we see with the Golden Girls, which is kind of a uh, a joke that's not really blackface, but kind of is. If we start going to take everything off of television, that's like that. We're not really. I mean, there's going to be very little to watch. But you know what's interesting to me, and I'll make this point quickly. Uh, is, and again, I think that things like this are fluffing around the edges. It's uh, a way to distract us from some uh, bigger issues, things that more directly impact all of us. For example, as I'm walking my dog in the morning and thinking about this program, thinking about blackface, thinking about Aunt Jemima, Gone with the Wind, I suddenly recall a conversation I had with a head writer for a program that I was on who told me that he just didn't know how to write for black actors. I began to think about the, the uh, executives who for years and years and years, all the time, I'm not talking about 50 years ago, I'm talking about within my career, 10 years ago, last year, who pay black actors automatically less than their white colleagues. I've heard stories of black actors with years and years of experience 
getting paid less than a white actor who is it's his first job. So, you know, don't tell me that you're pulling something off the air. I want to know about those writing rooms and why you continue to write black uh, penis jokes uh, that contribute to the stereotype of the uh, uh, over-sexualized black male and contribute to this idea of white feminine uh, uh, chastity that must be protected. I want to know why those rooms, those writers keep turning those jokes out. Don't tell me- So let me submit this to you, Joseph. And I think you're getting paid less than that guy over there. Let me say this to you, Joseph. Excellent point about not just talking about change, but doing something about change. And we've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks on the special report. Uh, These companies who are standing with the protesters and making these bold pronouncements about being anti-racist, but yet internally in their organizations, they are doing things that sustain, uh, you know, policies that discriminate against African-Americans. So I think that's an excellent point. And yes, if you're going to talk about removing blackface from a, a comedy or from a movie, definitely talk about how you're paying black actors. Talk about how you treat black actors uh, in your projects. But don't, I would submit to you that these conversations about blackface, whether you agree with ultimately what happens with the Golden Girls or not, these are the kinds of conversations that allow us then to also have the conversations that you and I, both and Jane, and I think everybody want to have, is about equitable treatment of African-Americans in every industry, whether it's the entertainment industry or the beauty industry or any other industry. So again, I I don't think we have to see them as mutually exclusive. We can talk about blackface and definitely let's talk about pay. Let's talk about being able to write whatever that, I don't even know what it means when you say I can't write for a black actor. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I I say something here? Sure, go right ahead. When are we going to take John Wayne's movies off the television. When are we going to take those Western movies off the television that depend on your willingness to watch us kill Native Americans? When are we going to take those off? When are we going well, to take those effort, actors Jane. off who, are not, you know who are not Native Americans, but who are wearing Native American garb in order to be paid money to be shot on television, on the movies? And we rerun, we read those are rerun all week long. And you're concerned about statues coming down. I'm concerned about the mental, the mental mess that we make of children's minds when we show that kind of thing and then say, oh, I'm concerned about right. that too. I'm to a grow. mother of three. I'm very concerned about that. And there are efforts afoot right now in Orange County, California, to remove John Wayne from this big airport in Orange County. So uh, again, <laughs> I submit That'll that be you should be concerned about all of this. You don't have to pick and choose what parts of racism you want to dismantle. I want to dismantle all of it. I want the racist no, I don't want, to go. I want the racist I don't want, I, to go. I, I want it all to go. But let's, we, I got to keep I moving on. My producer's in my ear. I got to keep moving on. We got to talk about Black Lives Matter. All right. So everybody has seen Black Lives Matter painted outside the White House. Big graffiti. Uh, now Bill de Blasio in New York says that Black Lives Matter painting is going to go in front of the famed Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue. And here's what Donald Trump tweeted about Bill de Blasio's uh, intentions. Basically said, uh, you're going to bring the neighborhood down with that big sign outside of Trump Tower. What do you think, Joseph? When you saw Black Lives Matter outside the White House, now it might be outside of Trump Tower. What are your thoughts about that? 
uh, Arima, my thoughts are consistent throughout this. Uh, you know, it, a lot of this is political. It's a big F you to Donald Trump. I don't have a problem with that. What I do have a problem with is in a city where people complain that there's not enough money for education, there's not enough money for children's uh, after school programs, not enough money for this, not enough money for that. Well, somehow you found enough money to make a political statement uh, uh, to the president of the United States. Um, I don't, do I care about that statement? Not really. What I do care about is that you're complaining about money and as a taxpayer, I want to see the money spent uh, more legitimately. Yeah. Joseph, what if volunteers were doing it and it cost the city government nothing? Would, would that change your well, opinion? As I said, as I, said I, don't, I don't have, I, I'm no lover of Donald Trump. I don't care. What I do care about are the things that we keep going back to. And this is why it's important, Ariba. And I know I'm at the risk of getting your, your producers <laughs> angry. Uh, let, me, let me make this point. The reason I keep going back to it is that for years and years, you've had people in office, you've had people in, in positions of power, uh, in corporations, and for years and years and years, they have not paid one bit of attention to the things that we're talking about. Now, all of a sudden, because there's some pressure, some legitimate pressure, people are angry, they're, the years and years, a lifetime of frustration and anger is starting to come out, and now their response is, Oh, let's paint a sign on the wall. Oh, let's take down some statues. Oh, let's change this woman on the pancake box. Instead of, no, we want these real substantive changes. That's what we want. Oh, we'll do some fluff around the edges. It's symbolic. Yes, it's, it, the symbolism is important. But now, after all of these years, all you can give us is symbolism. What about the meat? Where's the beef, as, as the woman the commercial used to say? But Joseph, would you agree that this worldwide movement that we are witnessing, Black Lives Matter, which now I think I read someplace that it's one of the biggest social movement, uh, you know, movements of all times. You know, people around the globe are, are marching and demanding this kind of change that without the symbols of Black Lives Matter, which, by the way, in that same tweet, uh, Donald Trump called the Black Lives Matter symbol a symbol of hate. That without those symbols, we wouldn't be at this moment where we're able to push these organizations to go further than the rhetoric. I don't I don't uh, I don't agree with that. I think uh, my- but how, would, how would Black Lives Matter have become so big if we weren't tweeting about it, if we weren't posting about it on Instagram, if we weren't sharing the symbols of Black Lives Matter, how would we be in this moment where it would have the power that it has? Ariva, we, as you well know, I don't have to tell you, we have been on our knees praying since I was a kid, since before I was a kid. We have been marching, we've been singing songs, We've been burning stuff to the ground. We've been throwing rocks. We've been doing all of that. And we have not received the kind of meat that we're talking about. Now Black Lives comes on and, this, and during this season, what we get is not the stuff that we've been demanding for decades. What we get is fluff. What we get is uh, uh, sugar. What we get 
is stuff around the edges. What we get is symbolic gestures. And what let I'm ask, saying so let me ask Jane this. I hear what you're saying, Joseph. Jane, I want to ask you, do you think there's anything different in this moment? Joseph seems to think that this is all fluff and nothing's going to change. You've been at this, Jane, a lot longer than both Joseph and I. So uh, what do you think? Do you think <laughs> no, this moment is really different? <laughs> number one, number one, Black Lives Matter is a marvelous movement, except that white people have weaponized that statement, Black Lives Matter, by saying, all lives matter. Now, the way they could deal with that, the Black Lives Matter people could, could put a comma after matter and then put the word two, because that would include everybody. Black Lives Matter, two. Then white people couldn't weaponize it. We have used that badly. You've given white people a weapon to use against Black Lives Matter. There's a way to stop that. I think Black Lives Matter, but until they matter in the classroom, they aren't going to matter no matter how many places you paint that, the man, the boy grown tall in the White House says that is a symbol of hate because it's a symbol of something that he hates, which is black lives. You know that as well as I do. And for you to put that in front of Trump Tower is to say, here's the tower with the name Trump on it that towers over the sign Black Lives Matter. That is exactly the wrong place to put that sign because that says that the tower can the Trump can tower over the people who are represented by that sign. That is the last place that I would have put that sign. Yes, it's an insult to Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, but it is also a recognition of his power and a recognition of his ability to see to it that black lives do not matter unless we need to go into a war, which you want to be careful and don't let him do that in the next three or four months, because then we can send a whole lot of black men to fight a war against other people of color in another country. I want but that sign not I want to get your answer to this. Well, first I want to say that Black Lives Matter people would say your statement about two is exactly what they're fighting against, which is white people trying to tell black people how their movement should be led. So let me just state that for the record. But also, I want to get your answer to this. Is this moment different? Joseph doesn't think this moment is different. Do you think this moment is different where we're going to see some real substantive changes on those issues that we all agree are important? You want to be careful about this moment because if a whole lot of us pale-faced women get on this moment, on this movement, we will do what most pale-faced women do. And pardon me if you're anybody who's offended. I'm accustomed to offending, offending pale-faced people. Look, pale-faced women will jump on a project and they'll stay on it for maybe a year. And if it isn't solved, then they'll jump onto something else. That is what we do. You need to realize that. Yes, they're going to push this one hard right now until some white male tells them to stop it. You need to remember that the civil rights movement was making pretty good progress until white males knew they had to do something to stop it. So they allowed the women's movement to stop the civil rights movement. Now, if all those white women who were in, into, the civil, into the white women's movement had joined the civil rights movement in huge numbers, we would have gotten a whole lot farther than we have gotten. But we haven't because they didn't. They, the white males allowed the white, the women's movement, which was a white women's movement, they might as well have been wearing signs that said black women need not apply. You know that as well as I do. And you also know that the major beneficiaries of affirmative action were white women. You need to realize that we can have these, we can have these wonderful moments, but watch out because who are going to win at the end? And it is not going to be young black boys and girls or young black women. 
that's the way it is because Black Lives Matter, as long as we need somebody to work in the White House, they can't live there, but they can work there. As long as they could build the White House, couldn't work there, but they could live, they couldn't live there, but they could work there. As long as we can employ blacks at less money than we would have to pay whites, that's when black lives matter to white people. And I'm not trying to tell black people what to do. I'm trying, I know white people and I know what people are thinking. When white people hear black lives matter, they think it says only black lives matter. You cut that leg out from under them by putting the word two after it. Now I'm not telling black people what to do. They know what, they know black people, but I know pale faces. Believe so me, I know pale faces. So Jane, that's a, a pretty uh, depressing, uh, uh, true statement about the, the status of where we are today. But, but talk to us about how we move past that, because if we are to accept what you're saying, this movement we are in, and I, I've been calling it a moment, but it is truly a movement, so let me correct myself. This movement will get us no place. And for those of us that feel slightly hopeful that this movement is different, what is it that white people need to do other than stay on this for a year while the media is, is on it? What do you want to say to white people to make this movement different? Because otherwise we might as well pack white, it up and go home. White people watch your mouths, number one. White people walk up to me. Some white woman walks up to me and says, I'm colorblind. I don't see color because she knows I'm the speaker for the day. And I say, I knew that before you told me that, because if you weren't colorblind, you wouldn't wear that shirt with those pants. Now she takes that as an affront. Or she walks up to me and says, oh, to, to Linda Guillory standing right beside me and say, when I see you, I don't see you black. Damn that woman. Linda Guillory handled it very nicely. She said, let's get you an appointment with the optometrist. I think you have an eye problem. I, I would have said to that woman, uh, if you can't see the largest organ on my body, inch for inch, which is my skin, there's something very wrong with you. And what you are really saying to me is, you don't know how to relate to someone of my unfortunate discoloration. Let me tell you what it is I, re I heard from what you said. Now, it doesn't matter what she meant by what she said. What matters is how it is perceived. White people have to get that into their heads. And you can help them do that by going to my website and there are three pages of learning materials, printed learning materials. The first is a set of typical statements that white folks make like, why, why is it so hard for the black people? My people came here 400 years ago and they had trouble too. Oh, you need to read those typical statements. Then you need to read the clarifications of those typical statements. Then somebody's gonna say, you brought us a lot of problems, you didn't bring us any solutions. Oh yes, there is. On the third page is a set of commitments to combat racism. If white people really want to end this situation, they can do it individually. Now you're gonna think, well, society is the problem. This racism is a societal problem. No, it's an individual problem. And if, an in, if enough individuals give up their ability, their, their decision to cooperate with racism, we will destroy racism in this country. Nobody's born a racist. You have to learn to be a racist. Anything you learn, you can unlearn. It's time for white people to unlearn their racism and to stop calling themselves white because they aren't. They're all shades of brown. Everybody in this country, on this earth, is a shade of brown because we all came from the same people. End of speech. Love it. Thank you. Great. Go to this website. Get this information, uh, invaluable information from someone who's Jane Elliott, been at this for 52 years. Joseph, I, I see you're about to jump out of your chair. What do you want to tell us? Uh, I actually was, was uh, wanted to, to make a comment earlier, and it went out of my head. Uh, I, I do want to say this. I am not uh, completely 
pessimistic about everything. I think time will tell, but I am very wary as I believe that I see signs of the movement already being co-opted. Uh, you know, we began talking about, uh, uh, you know, what, during this COVID we had uh, Amud Arbery and uh, the, the names, all of these names. And then somehow that got us to Chaz and Chop and then we're tearing down statues and I'm kind of like in the corner going, oh, that's that's fine, but um, you remember Breonna Taylor? Anybody got any news about that? But tell me your optimism. You said you're not completely pessimistic. What is your optimism? Here's what, I, here's what why, one of the things I'm optimistic about, and Jane uh, said something about this when right at the top of the show, she was talking about empathy. And I think that, that, is, that that's an important element in this entire discussion. And one of the things that I see happening now that I'm that uh, gives me some hope is that people are sharing stories, and I think that personal stories from people that sometimes you might not expect to hear their stories, I think aids in that empathy. People beginning to understand. Uh, well, let me ask you this, Joseph. You're talking about empathy. The you know the. the Lady Antebellum changed their names, their singing group name to Lady A. And in reading about why they did that, they talked about empathy. They said they listened to their black friends, they listened to their fans, and they, they gained a greater awareness about the meaning of Antebellum and its association with slavery and the pre-Civil War movement, and they changed their name. Is that the kind of empathy that you think we need to see more of? Well, I would prefer the kind of empathy that uh, that that shows up when, for example, I have friends who are on the phone with a corporation for a phone interview, and it's all good, and then they show up with <laughs> the black face, and suddenly something on their resume they just don't have some necessary job skill that somehow during the phone interview was present. Now all of a sudden it's not there. Uh, I, I have stories like that. So I would prefer the kind of empathy that says, yeah, come on in uh, and we're going to hire you <laughs> and we're going to hire you at the same salary as these guys over here. That's the kind of empathy that I want. And that's not a knock against Lady Antebellum or Dixie Chicks. I appreciate that they're stepping out and trying to do something positive. I don't happen to believe it really impacts my life in any significant way, but I appreciate uh, the effort. But again, as I say, I think that there are, are uh, uh, some more concrete things that, that people can do. For instance, I would ask of some of these uh, rock groups, and I'm not talking about Lady Antebellum or Dixie Chase, I don't know them. But, you know, when you go out on tour, how many Black roadies are there? I mean, are you hiring Black people? Because quite frankly, really, you and I both know in Hollywood, there are a lot of people with big mouths, do a lot of talk about diversity this and diversity that. And then when you go and look at their production staffs, this Lily White. It's the same in uh, the academic world. You have universities and colleges and they and departments in these in these universities who talk about diversity and they are out there marching. They will do symbolic things, but for some reason, some reason they just can't find uh, uh, a, a professor, assistant professor of color to come into their department. Why is that? 
you know. Well, so that's. I want to ask you, Joseph. You're like talking about. Before. You say you want concrete things, and I'm in total agreement with you uh, because actions are far more powerful than words. We've seen some concrete things, though, happening after George Floyd's murder, after we witnessed that horrific murder. We've seen it around policing. Uh, I interviewed uh, on the show the president of the Minneapolis uh, City Council who led a movement and got unanimous vote to defund the police in Minneapolis. I had the city council members from Louisville, Kentucky, uh, after Breonna Taylor's uh, murder by police, who voted to end uh, ban chokeholds in the city of, of Louisville. What are your thoughts about the, the defund the police? Do you see that as one of those concrete steps uh, that will lead to better uh, public safety in communities of color? Are you asking me or Jane? I'm asking you, Joseph. You, you're looking for concrete examples. I just well, gave you two of the uh, concrete well, examples around policing. And let me give you a couple of more. Los Angeles just reallocated 150 million from the police budget. Uh, New York is reallocating 100, uh, uh, 1 billion from the uh, New York Police Department budget to go to mental health and community-based organizations. So Reva, uh, I don't really understand what defund the police means. I've read and it seems to me that, that it's one of those phrases that can mean a lot of things depending on who's uh, saying it. I happen to be of the opinion that the police uh, are the enforcement arm of the government. And when you expand government and you give government more power, then their enforcement arm is emboldened with that power. And uh, you are not going to address issues of police abuse by saying, oh, now you can't do chokehold. No, the way you, again, Eric Garner on the streets of New York, he was arrested and he was tackled for selling loose cigarettes. That doesn't have anything to do, that has to do with government power given to police to enforce government dictates about our lives. So- Well, let me say to you, uh, Joseph, defund the police is to take some of that power away from the government institution, the police. So seems like you would be in favor. to another government institution that will be empowered with the same, listen- No, well, no, that's not accurate. Some of these plans, some of these, let me just tell you, you said you're not very clear on defund the police. Some of these plans are to give money to organizations that are going to work around mental health issues, domestic violence, and other issues that don't require someone to show up at your door with a gun. They require someone to show up with some training in how to deal with someone who's having a, a mental, uh, you know, some kind of a mental health breakdown. So it, it's not just reallocating those monies to a, a different policing arm, but it's to put those monies where people who are in real need that don't, they're not committing any crimes and they need help. And, okay. and you're giving that money to them to get that help that they need. Okay, uh, I'll say two things. The first thing is that my mind is open. And so that, so we'll see. I have admitted, I'm not clear on this concept. Uh, I've, see, I've, I've read a little bit and I've seen that in some jurisdictions they've, they've made some changes uh, that, and they've had some positive results. We'll see how that works in a place like Los Angeles, New York City, where I think that uh, some of this is kind of, the, the reaction has been a bit knee-jerk, and I don't know if it's been thought out. So we'll see. But then I'll add this other part, which is that there are no laws, there are no regulations, 
There are no dictates that come from government that are not backed up with a gun. So we can talk about sending social workers and uh, mental health experts out. And quite frankly, I, I think that there's some good in that. I have a very personal story uh, with me, and I won't go into it now, that uh, perhaps had a, 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 a mental health worker been dispatched, then my son's, one of my son's best friends would be alive today uh, who was gunned down by police. So I, I'm not a non-believer in that. But I also know the reality is that there will always be a gun behind it. And uh, so long as we give over more and more of our lives to, to the government, we will always invite more and more people into our lives who are empowered uh, with, by the government to, uh, to enforce laws uh, to the death. And what so, do you what do you think, Jane? To, to limit to, to limit that is to begin to limit the amount of interference and interaction we have with government and government agents. Okay. What do you think, Jane, about this whole movement uh, afoot to defund the police? You've seen the Minneapolis vote, uh, that city council. You've seen, like I said, these reallocations of funds in big cities like LA and New York. Do you think this is the right, right direction or, or one of the ways we can okay. get to better policing in this country? If you're going to take money away from the police department, if you're going to defund the police, you're talking about money, use that money to re-educate the police department, to re-educate people so that they realize they're all the same race, everybody on every person on the face of the earth is, and to wipe out of the so-called education, they got K through 12. Use that money to change the behavior because their attitudes will change because the depth of their knowledge about those who are different from themselves will change and they will refuse to continue to support and protect and defend racism. Racism is the number one problem in the police department, just as it is the number one problem in this country. The ignorance of racism is what got us in the mess we're in today. And you need to remember that. And that is not going to end until we change the kind of education that we offer in this country, K through grade, whatever, however far you go. They've done studies in this country that prove that the longer you stay in school, the more bigoted you become because the more you are reinforced in what you learn grades K through eight. And most of what you learn grades K through eight about other people was a lie. And it was a lie that is sanctioned by the government that doesn't know any better than to let that continue. It's time to put a stop to that kind of absolute indoctrination. It's time to stop indoctrinating people and tell them the truth about you and me. And you and you are my 30th and 50th cousin, whether you like it or not. Now, you may not want me for your cousin, but I am one of your 30th to 50th cousins because we have the same ancestor back there 300,000 years ago. So let's get over it. Uh, hello, Cousin Jane. I, I welcome you freely into the family. I just want to ask you one Thank more question before much. we get out of here. And I'll accept about, you also. Absolutely. Thank you. Wonderful. And Joseph, you are definitely welcome to the barbecue as well. But Jane, I want to ask you. I'll about, bring the potatoes then. Okay. <laughs> These white supremacy groups. So we know that a big part of what Donald Trump has done in this country is to divide us. And he does it by pandering to these white supremacist groups. They're on the rise. The, the Southern uh, uh, Poverty Law Center has talked about the rise of these hate groups. 
and we see them. We, we've seen them at the big protests. We've seen them at the marches. We've seen them at these rallies. Is there anything that, that, that can be done, not in the future generations, but in this generation of these white supremacists that you think will, will really chip away at their beliefs and their actions and, and cause them to accept what you're telling us, which is that we're all part of one universal race? Stop talking or even referring to anything that Donosaurus T. Rump says because he is so ignorant that he has no idea what he's talking about. He doesn't know how to lead. He doesn't know how to govern. He doesn't know about laws. He doesn't know how to be an adult human being. He is a case of arrested development. People who are also cases of arrested development will follow him because he thinks the way they do. Stop referring to that person and start talking about the people who can make a difference. And those are the people who are going to vote in November and they can vote in such a way that he will be a thing of the past, an ugly thing in our past, and there will be no statues made to him. Well, on that note, uh, we, I think we are all in total agreement. I just wanna make sure you repeat that website again, Jane, because I want our viewers to be able to go and find the great work that you're doing uh, around these issues. So tell us again where we can find more about the work that you're doing. You, know, you oh dear, uh, go on television or you know just go Google me. Ju Google Jane Elliott. That's all you have to do. Just Google Jane, Jane Elliott. Elliott no, my my email address is uh, Jane at JaneElliott.com. That's the one I want you to use because I don't want to get that hate mail. I have an I have an email address that I have because nobody. No, no, I don't want your email. I want your get the hate mail. Not your email. Well, I don't want JaneElliott.com. Jane at JaneElliott.com. And if any hate mail comes on, my daughter will just delete it. And that's as far as I need to go. If they want to know what I do, buy my book. It's called A Collar in My Pocket. Great. Or buy Bill Peters' book, um, A Class Divided, Then and Now. And it will tell them about how this blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise works and why we, why we ought to be using it with the members of the police department. Well, thank you so much, Jane, uh, again, for sharing your 52 years of wisdom with us. And thank you, Joseph, uh, for joining us for this really, this is such an important conversation uh, that we're having. And we don't always have to agree, but we do have to keep talking. So again, thanks to both of you for uh, coming on and sharing uh, your thoughts and your vision for what a better America will look like. And I'm certain, Joseph, even though it might be a lot of fluff, we're going to get there. <laughs> you guys take care and be safe out there. Wow, I love Hot Topics Friday because I get to talk to really smart people and we don't always agree, but we I think we make a lot of progress. Again, so thanks to my guests for joining me this morning, Jane Elliott and Joseph Phillips. Please take a moment to share, subscribe, and rate this podcast. I always want to hear your thoughts. You can share your comments with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn by following at Ariva Martin. Thanks and be safe out there.